Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. My name is Amanda Aliberti, social worker at Adoptions from the Heart. We welcome you to our agency podcast, a platform to hear voices from all members of the adoption triad. We will be connecting with other organizations and professionals to collaborate about the services we offer our clients. We look forward to our audience learning more about adoption and the future growth of our community. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Adoptions from the Heart podcast, Heart to Heart. We're happy to have you here with us today. Today, we are going to be talking about infertility and adoption. We have two special guests with us today. Our first guest is Tracy Whitney. She's a content manager at Creating a Family. Creating a Family is a national nonprofit whose mission is to strengthen and inspire adoptive, foster, and kinship parents and professionals who support them. She is a Philly area wife and mom with six amazing kids, four biological, two adopted, plus two in-laws, and they are all outstanding humans and her best accomplishments. Uh, In her role at Creating a Family, she creates content and resources for social media, the blog, and their extensive library of educational courses for adoptive parents, foster parents, kinship care, infertility parents, and professionals who serve those communities. She also admins the large online Creating a Family support group with her team of volunteers, where all members of the adoption triad learn to grow together for the express purpose of raising up the next generation of kids in strong, healthy families. Thank you, Tracy, for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. We also have with us today an Adoptions from the Heart social worker and adoptive parent, Michaelina Bending. Michaelina has been with the agency for 21 years. Uh, And so she has been with the agency as an adoptive parent social worker, where she works with uh, prospective adoptive parents, helping them through the pre-approval process, placement, post-placement, and she also uh, works with with pregnant women uh, and birth and expecting parents who are looking to explore their options in place, and she helps them get matched with adoptive parents and facilitates that whole matching process and post-placement as well. And so, Michaelina, we're really happy to have you here with us today as well. Thanks for having me. So today we're, it's, it's infertility week. Um, and so we wanted to talk about um, the topic of infertility. And so um, I wanted to start off, Tracy, just, just with a general question of when do you recommend um, for couples who may be experiencing infertility, when do you recommend they consider seeing a professional? Well, if a woman is 35 years or younger and she's been trying for 12 months or more, then it's probably time to see uh, an infertility specialist. If you're 35 or older, then um, trying for about six months would be the time to go ahead and start seeking out the professional's advice. Um, However, if you have a known health issue that might impact fertility or a family history of health issues that could impact fertility, um, seeking counsel uh, sooner than that would also be recommended. Okay. And so I assume that the process of, you know, seeing a professional about your infertility, um, you know, it requires a couple different appointments, many different tests. Um, you know, um, I'm sure there's a lot of emotions that come with that. And so, and so what can you, what can you let us know about, the, about that process? Well, um, the first thing to, to consider is 
the impact of what an infertility diagnosis has on your life, on your partner's life, if you're in a partnership. Um, it's really important that you let yourself feel all of the emotions that you feel when the diagnosis is given or when the testing process starts and you're seeking that diagnosis. Um, a lot of couples, you know, when they go into treatment feel very overwhelmed by the number of tests or the kinds of tests that are being offered. And at that point, it's probably a good time to um, sit and talk frankly with each other um, if you're in a partnership or a marriage about what your limits are, how far you want to go with the testing, what kind of testing feels um, okay to you, what kind of testing maybe feels too invasive to you um, in the process so that the two of you, if again, if you're in a partnership, um, so that the two of you are, are working together on the same page as often as possible. Um, we find very often that when there's a mismatch of expectations between the two people involved in this process, um, that's when the emotions become more difficult to cope with and more difficult to um, identify and then work through. Um, the other thing that's really important is all along in the process, don't ever be afraid to ask your doctor even what you think might be a ridiculous question. If it comes to your mind and you're dwelling on it and you're thinking about it, ask it. And if the doctor doesn't have a satisfactory answer for you, ask where you can go to get more answers. Um, many women in particular seek uh, third-party care in the form of a therapist or a counselor. Um, some women would go to maybe a trusted pastor or a rabbi or somebody like that that can kind of help them sort through the process. Um, and then in addition to all of that preparatory work, when you actually get the diagnosis, it's really important, again, to let yourself feel all of those emotions, but also to find some healthy ways to cope with all of that. Again, whether it's a confidant, you know, your mom, your trusted best friend, your spouse, um, someone that you can just safely process all of this information with. Um, we find that uh, folks that use uh, a therapist or a counselor often find benefit bringing in either their best friend who's walking through it with them or their partner if they're married or in a long-term partnership to talk about that together and have that kind of three-way conversation about what all of this means, where do we go from here, all of the unknowns that are hard to process so that's kind of the starting point for dealing with the emotional impact of a, an infertility process and diagnosis. Michaelina, do you want to share anything? I mean, I, uh, you know, personally, I've had infertility. Um, my children joined my family through adoption. So that process of really taking the time to grieve that initial diagnosis or loss is really critical. I know for myself, I did not seek the help of a therapist or a counselor. Um, and my son, um, I did give birth, my son passed away a few days after he was born. 
Um, so through that loss process and the process of just carrying that pregnancy and then having infertility after, I did not seek support. I think that it, it when this all occurred, which was 31 years ago, seeking treatment through a therapy or counseling group or support through other women in grief and loss through infertility was not something that was talked about, nor was it something that was offered. So I 100% support the idea of having that additional support either through therapy or you know, a priest or rabbi or best friend. Um, I did have support through my mom, but what I felt in that process was that she couldn't fully understand the loss of not having a successful pregnancy and then infertility because she was able to have three children. And so as much as she loved me and as much as I loved her and as much as she supported me, I didn't have that person that really understood and felt that I needed an organization or a support person or a mentor person who had also experienced infertility and loss. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Tracy, what does, what does creating a family do to help clients who are experiencing infertility? Um, I, I, I saw, um, when you were talking to me about your, your history and role there, that there are some types of support groups at, at creating a family. Yeah. So we have an online Facebook group of, I want to say about 9,000 members, um, and all members of the triad are represented in the group, but we also have a huge uh, demographic of people who are in fertility treatment right now, or who have experienced fertility issues, um, who've come to parenting after infertility. And so the conversations in our group are widely varied, and we talk a lot about what the emotional aspect is for ourselves, for our partners, um, for our children, if we've experienced infertility after we've had children or after we've adopted. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, the cultural impacts of that kind of loss, as, as Michaelina mentioned, the, um, the fact that we've got people who love us, but they don't always get it. Mm -hmm. And um, so the Facebook support group offers that kind of peer-to-peer, 24-7, because it's online, um, support for people. Um, The Creating a Family organization, our website is full of resources for coping with the emotions of infertility, coping with the grief of infertility. We actually just um, published a blog not too long ago about the identifying and coping with the losses of infertility, where we talk about the importance of naming what the losses are. And when we are able to name those losses, how that in itself is a healing exercise um, because it gives value or weight to the loss. One One of the things that people talk about in the infertility community a lot is the ambiguity of the loss. Mm-hmm. And when you have that kind of ambiguous loss, people are less likely to get it because they don't understand it. Um, so we talk about grieving that and grieving the difficulty of finding the support for that. But we also have tons of resources about helping you find therapists and other support groups um, like resolve.org um, where you can get support from professionals and from peers who 
again, who get it. Yeah. And so I imagine, you know, well, the, we know this, uh, you know, through adoption and birth parent, working with birth parents, that grief is different person to person. And so um, that whole process is a very unique person. And it could be, you know, it could be different even amongst, you know, the couple, uh, you know, one couple may handle the diagnosis different than the other. Um, and so um, I imagine that could be challenging too, um, you know, when they're looking, when they're going through this process together to have different, different um different feelings on the diagnosis or, you know, different, you know, maybe one person is perhaps grieves a little bit faster and is ready to pursue adoption before another. So, so can you add anything about, about that? Have you seen that? We have, we do see every day that men grieve it quite differently than women. Um, we see that, um, typically in a partnership or a, a marriage, there's one who's ready to move on and go to the next steps and one who's holding back a little bit, not because they don't want to move on, but because they process differently. And so we do talk a lot. Um, we're always very excited when we have um, a male perspective coming into the conversation. So we do encourage in those conversations to uh, hear from men. We appreciate hearing from the men um, about that aspect, but the grieving of the process and grieving of the emotions um, while they are different between maybe the genders or within that unique partnership, there's still some strong commonalities that everyone experiences. They, again, just do it differently. Um, so we, we really encourage people to, again, find someone, whether it's a professional or not, find someone to be able to partner with you in that process. I was going to say, I, I experienced that myself with our loss and then infertility and adoption journey i for my husband i felt that he was able to move forward quick more quickly than i was um sometimes i think the physical pain of loss too like especially for miscarriages or those who've had the you know it's just a reminder um on a daily basis and months sometimes um you know, that I've had a loss. So you're dealing with the physical um, justification of that as well. But um, I think having your partner be patient enough in your relationship to wait for you to move up to the next step with, and then together take that journey um, was critical. I know that was clearly one of the concerns we initially had with our infertility as well. Yeah. I would, I would totally resonate with that. We had an early loss, um, the very first pregnancy, and I had some lingering physical symptoms that made it hard to mentally and emotionally move on. Um, and my husband is, is much more likely in any scenario to be ready to box it up and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to move on. So mm -hmm. I completely resonate with that, yeah. Yeah, so I imagine, you know, the the transition of moving from, you know, the grief and loss of the infertility to expanding your family in another way, um, you know, it, here we're talking about adoption, um, you know, there's different timelines for different families. So how do you really know when you're ready to make that step? I mean, for me, I 
I, you know, with my pregnancy was a difficult pregnancy. So I was in the hospital for a period of three months um, with that pregnancy and, and the, the, you know, the rams, the thoughts that, you know, there was going to be an outcome that would not be positive um, because of this journey along the period of time. And so um, I did give birth through a C-section at 30 weeks emergency. Um, but while I was in the hospital for those months prior to, I had already started that process. And sometimes they think people when they're in their journey of infertility have that little thought in their head that it, I'm gonna give this a full 100% shot, but there is the reality that here I am in infertility and there's a chance that this is not going to be successful. Um, so for me, I was, sort of prepping myself for those next steps, still needed to grieve my infertility, but already had started looking at adoption, already had known really the past. It just gave me hope, I think. And it also gave me some way of having a sense of control of this period of time in my life where I had no control of my physical health um, and pregnancy. So I needed to have something out there to be hopeful for. And so for me, it was sort of a journey that I took even during my infertility or loss of pregnancy, um, just to be, be uh, preparing for what might be coming and start some homework on that. I love that you did that, that thinking in advance and, and using it as a, as a tool of hope. That's something that we hear a, a good bit of from other families as well. I think the other thing that we've observed is that when patients are reaching the point of considering adoption um, out of an infertility journey, they are also comparing adoption to the third party reproduction options that are out there like donor eggs, donor sperm, donor embryo. Some even consider surrogacy, which is growing in popularity. Mm -hmm. um, so they're kind of, it almost feels like they have a foot in both worlds while they're doing that process. They're, they're grieving their infertility, they're, they're working through what that means. And of course, there's all kinds of additional factors that they have to consider, not just the emotions and the, the physical ramifications of um, third-party reproduction versus adoption, but also the, the financial factors and their partner's comfort level with all of those other options. There's a lot to consider. So it sometimes feels as if they're in this abyss of information just swarming and filling their heads. And it can be very overwhelming to consider, you know, okay, now it's time to move from traditional infertility treatment into maybe third-party reproduction. What does that look like? What does that mean? Some couples have moral or religious convictions about those things and they have to talk about them frankly and candidly with each other. Um, what does adoption look like? What kind of adoption is right for us? And so that, that transition period from treatment into if they ultimately land at adoption can feel very overwhelming, um, which is why we always advocate that they find you know, connections that have done what they're looking at doing, you know, find a mom that's adopted a couple times and pick her brain, ask her, you know, what it was like and what's it like to raise adopted children and um, talk to people that have done donor embryo or donor egg and, and ask them, you know, how was the experience for you? What was it like? Don't just, don't just rely on what your doctors may be urging you to do or suggesting as, as the next 
logical step to them, but consider that there's lots of options out there and how do you kind of gather the right information for you to make the decision that's right for you and your family. And, and that's one thing that I, you know, wanted to, to pose to you is to you both is many adoption agencies have policies that prohib- prohibit families from pursuing infertility treatments and adoption at the same time. So we're talking about making this transition, right? Um, but I, I, for our listeners, you know, they may be asking themselves, well, why can't I do both at the same time. And many adoption agencies, um, including Adoptions from the Heart, um, does not allow for that. Um, you know, they do not allow uh, their clients to pursue infertility at the same time that they're pursuing an adoption. Why do you think that is? Uh, for me, I, I think uh, for the age, I think it's an emotional journey that you're on um, with each of those processes, whether it be adoption or your infertility treatment. And it takes commitment in both avenues, right? So, um, and there's a period of grieving through your infertility loss before maybe you're jumping into some other arena. And I think the thought is, is that, you know, that takes work before we're ready to invest in whatever avenue you're going through Um, whether it's adoption or surrogacy, it takes a different journey and you need to grieve the loss of your infertility. And, you know, you always hear people say, well, once you get started in in this adoption journey or some other journey, you're going to get pregnant. You know, that's what's going to happen to you. That that happens very few times. But um, so I feel that you have to grieve that loss and come to terms with it. Talk through the next steps with your partner be prepared and joyful about those next steps. Be excited about them. Uh, they themselves have a lot of risk factors and a whole bunch of other joys and difficulties. So it, it's it's a lot to do both at the same time. One needs to really just um, grieve that loss and be ready and excited to move on to whatever the next journey will be. Yep, that's great. I, uh, we had a, a recent radio show um, called coming to terms with infertility grief before you adopt. And one of the tools that she suggested, which um, I thought was just a fantastic tool, was writing a letter to the child that you dreamt of. And um, it, it, it encompassed all those things that you just shared, the being joyful in what you were expecting out of infertility to happen and then grieving what did not happen and then being able to close that chapter. That's not to say that I know the big buzzword is closure. There's not gonna be closure over that grief. That grief may be under the surface forever, but learning how to cope with it in healthy ways so that you can move on to the next thing. Because those two paths, infertility treatment and adoption require very different skill sets to manage the process. You know, when you're in an adoption process, we've been through it twice, there's a ton of paperwork and attention to detail that when you're going through an infertility process is not necessary in the same way. And so even just the practical notion of of the two different skill sets that are needed to pursue those paths, trying to do both at the same time um, can, again, be quite overwhelming and kind of hamstring you for success in either of those paths. And I want to add to the 
closure part because that's absolutely right. There really is no finality to your infertility um, or loss. It's always a part of your journey in life and it's always gonna be a way in which we remember those things. But I think through processing that grief and loss, we learn to see even sometimes that that journey as being the part of why we're here today. Like, why did I then choose adoption? Why did I do that? But without that journey, without that road, we wouldn't be in the alternative that we've chosen. I know for me, it, it led me to adoption. It led me to a career change It what, whatever it may be, but that journey was important. I needed that journey. That was part of my life. It had to happen. And I can look back on those memories with fondness and not with sorrow but again it's it's not a closure it's still open it's just the view the view in which the way in which i view that process for myself and it makes you who you are and you can use those experiences to improve how you become and who you are as an adoptive parent it can increase your empathy it can increase your compassion um, there's all kinds of great messages and tools and, and outcomes that we can bring from that. Um, but again, expecting closure can be, can be a, set, a setup for frustration. Yeah, I, we had a someone that used to work at the agency. His name was Sam. And Sam had adopted um, multiple children through Russia. And we had a we had we have trainings every month and we had a therapist or somebody in giving us a training. And the therapist said something along the lines like adoption doesn't resolve the loss of, you know, infertility. And Sam and I both looked at each other. And, and although we agreed with that statement, we also knew that the way that we grieved our loss after adopting our children was different. In that in the moment of me thinking about the loss of my son or my infertility, um, or my struggles in that journey. I was holding a child in my arm, rocking a child, you know, in, in a rocking chair and being able to pour that emotion into something that was more um, empathetic, as you said, and just, um, and just love, you know, it just came out differently once that journey um, wasn't completed, obviously, but once there was a child brought into that into my life and into anyone else's life. I think it helps with the healing um, and it helps change the grief into something that's a little bit more um, loving. Thank you, ladies. So I wanna kind of go back to the topic. Um, we were initially talking about how couples may grieve differently, but I wanna, so I wanted to revisit that a little bit and talk about how the process may be if the couple, you know, the two members of the family are on a different page. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. There's, there's a lot of couples who experience this. Um, and I think one of the most important parts is to be patient with each other, to be honest, but then to just give each other some space to process. Um, quite often in a partnership, there's one who processes verbally, one who processes internally, or one who processes quickly, one who processes slowly. You have to really know each other well to um, tackle these big conversations. And for example, in our home, we have a policy that we don't move on really big decisions until we can be on the same page together. Um, even if we don't 
agree on all of the minutia of the page, we, we wanna be on the same general page together. So it involves a lot of asking honest questions and being willing to hear honest answers. It might again involve seeking counsel. Um, if you can do the seeking of counsel together to have that neutral third party walking you through um, the steps or seeking counsel for yourself if you're feeling frustrated that maybe your partner's not ready to move on as quickly as you are or isn't ready to consider adoption. Um, you should also consider talking about things that adoption will bring to your life. Um, adoption is a beautiful thing. We've done it twice, um, but it's also a hard thing. And it, it comes from someone else's loss and so that loss impacts your family. It impacts how you parent that child. And so you have to be willing to talk about some of those parts of adoption that may be less tangible, but not any less important. Things like transracial parenting or special needs parenting or prenatal exposure. Um, you, have to, you have to be willing to Talk about open adoption. It's it's a, a huge benefit for the children, but not every partnership is on the same page about what open adoption is, how to do it, and uh, where to go with what you think and feel about it if the expectant mother that you're working with feels different about it than you do. So there's a lot of those um, smaller parts of adoption that you, even if you're not on the same page, you're willing to talk about frequently and ask each other those honest, hard questions and hear the honest answers. Yeah, um, I know for our agency, um, you know, we understand that many of the clients who come to us are coming to us because they've experienced some type of infertility. Um, you know, of course we do see families who maybe had some biological children and want to adopt as well, but majority of our clients are coming to us, um, you know, with an infertility diagnosis. And um, we understand that they've been through this very long journey, this grieving process. And, um, but one of the first questions that we do ask them at the initial meeting is who brought up adoption first? Mm. Um, who brought up the topic of adoption first? And that's kind of our introductory question to, to, to talk about, you know, where they are in that process. Um, you know, have they fully grieved the loss of their infertility? Um, are they on the same page um, in terms of adoption? You know, how long did it get them to get on the same page? You know, um, those are all important things for us to, to begin talking about and to get to know them and to see where they are in, in their journey. Um, because um, we know it's a long process. Like you said, when you are looking at adoption agencies, I mean, there's, there's many, many ways for you to expand your family. You could do foster to adopt. You could do adoption through an attorney. You could do it through an agency. Um, you, you know, and, and then there's infant adoptions, there's young children adoptions, there's teen adoptions. I mean, there's, there's transracial, like you said, uh, you know, prenatal drug and alcohol exposure. So there's a lot to look into. Um, and so there's a lot more decisions to be made and, um, and seeing, you know, so there's, so that having that partnership where you could really work together and communicate and, and, and understand like my partner's not okay with this. I know I am, but 
but, but I need to, I need to respect my partner and I need to wait till my partner gets to that, to that space. Um, I mean, Michaelina, would you agree with, you know, with what I'm, what I'm suggesting yeah. here? Yeah, exactly. I think it's a, again, that journey of transition is exactly that it's a journey. And so, you know, taking a look at where each person in a partnership is coming from and how they got to, um, the agency and and what means and you know what did it take for them to get here you know was it was it talking with a therapist was it taking the time just to you know involve themselves in some activities to help deal with that loss or that stress that they were dealing with but all of those things are really important on how to make that transfer from infertility to adoption, talking to other people, going, to, you know, getting involved in Resolve or Facebook groups, like all of that's important. Important for us to know how that journey took place because it's just not an immediate switch. If it is a quick um, journey, um, it's a concern to the agency and that we need some time for them to work as a couple or work as a partner or even as an individual if they had tried some infertility on their own with well because often they've been involved in artificial insemination or some other form of transition and it's important for them to move forward in a way that there's a journey that it's just not a knee-jerk reaction that there's some thought processes that there's some support um even more so for someone who's single because they don't have that partner so it's important for them to either seek therapy or through a friend or some through their parent through some support. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's sometimes um, surprising to our applicants. Um, you know, they're like, we've, we've already gone through this, you know, infertility process. We, and here we are at adoption and you're asking us more questions about infertility and, um, and, you know, and, and it is hard, it is hard to have, you know, these conversations and we understand that, you know, they may have gone through the grieving process and they're coming to us in a good place, but, you know, it is our, it is our job to make sure that they, they, that they, you know, are in a good place and that they understand that there's more work, you know, to be done in, in this topic as we consider what, you know, type of adoption is best for their family. Um, and, you know, singles as well, like Michaelina said, um, you know, singles some, sometimes have a unique situation, um, you know, and they may not all have infertility issues, but they might have a, have considered sperm donation or something along those lines, surrogacy, we have single men as well. Um, so, um, so it is still a topic that, that is explored, um, you know, once you get, once you get into this adoption process. And with many other things in life, education is key to helping you through that transition and that process. And that's one of the things I love about the resources we offer at Creating a Family. We've got resources for coping with infertility grief. We've got resources for, you know, what kind of adoption is the right one for you and resources about what kind of third-party reproduction might be right for you and how do you make that transition and um, you know our our podcasts um, in particular the infertility podcasts that deal with the coping and the loss and the emotions of infertility they're always so hopeful and they always offer you know what are my next steps and what are the practical things that I can do to to cope with these losses um, but then moving on to the next step 
as part of that healing process, educating yourself about what adoption is and listening to adoptee voices, listening to adoption professionals, mixing and mingling and rubbing shoulders with adoptive parents, all of those resources that you can find at Creating a Family, but also in places like um, the Facebook group and the, you know, resolve.org. Again, we've mentioned them. This is National Infertility Awareness Week. Mm -hmm. um, taking advantage of those resources to arm yourself with what you need to know and what you didn't even know that you needed to know are, are great next steps that will empower you to make the right decision for your family, but also help you get in that mindset that this is a, a journey that I need to keep learning about. Because, you know, we both know, uh, Michaelina and I, that adoptive parenting, you don't stop learning. You have to keep learning while you're raising these kids. So um, it's, a, it's a great transition to keep in mind that education is the best way to proceed through that. I agree with that because even as you're exploring your options, and I'll, and I'll talk about um, agencies here or private attorneys, if adoption is your option, um, it's everybody has a different feel. An agency has, sometimes, you know, we, we think with our heads and we're, that's really what's important here, right? To get the information because the information gives us power, gives us a sense of control over decisions we have to make. But it's also a, a feeling sometimes. There's something that just clicks with one agency, like all the, all the thinking with the head things checked off, but then there's this something with my heart says, this is where I feel my journey should continue with this particular agency. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. A lot of our applicants, when you say, why did you choose adoptions from the heart? You know, it, oftentimes we get, I just had a good feeling, you know, mm -hmm. I had a good feeling about your agency and that's really important. Um, you know, when you're getting assigned a social worker, or when you're working with an agency that you feel good about that agency, um, mm -hmm. because it, cause it is another long journey. And that's something that I, you know, wanted to mention. One of the reasons why we love the organization, Tracy, that you work for creating a family is because you, you value support, you value education, you value, um, you know, resources, just like we do here at Adoptions from the Heart. And so, you know, we, we, we provide our families with a lot of resource, a lot of education. We do ed series throughout the years on different topics about it related to adoption. Um, we also have monthly support groups. So we have support groups for transracial adoptions. We have trans uh, support groups for waiting families. Um, we also even occasionally have support groups for placed families. So after um, the match has occurred or for disrupted or disappointed families. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something, you know, that's important because, you know, the birth parents do have the option to revocate, um, you know, and decide to parent and that loss um, for an adoptive parent can really bring up a lot of the same feelings that they may have feel like they, they had under control, you know, those feelings can resurface again. And, um, and so that support is so incredibly crucial. Um, and we really just like creating a family does, we really encourage our clients to, to partake in that support, you know, um, because, you know, you're having, you know, that rapport or having, you know, that good relationship with the agency and other adoptive parents at the agency can really make a difference in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. 
Agreed. So um, I, I, I think that, you know, this, this conversation was incredibly important and I really hope that our listeners today uh, uh, felt like um, they had some good information here. Um, again, Tracy Whitney works with uh, creating a family and so she is a content manager uh, there and you can, you can visit creating a family by going to their website at www.creatingafamily.org. They have ton of good resources um, on their website. Uh, and so we highly recommend that if you are a listener today and you are experiencing or think you may be experiencing some infertility, that you do reach out to their organization um, for help, guidance, and support. Um, again, this podcast is Heart to Heart, uh, hosted by Adoptions from the Heart. Adoptions from the Heart is a private infant adoption agency, and we are located on the East Coast uh, in Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and Virginia. And so we provide uh, pre-adoptive adoptive services, placement, post-placement services. Um, and so you could visit us on our website at www.afth.org. Um, and you can give us a call, send us a message, speak with a social worker to learn more about the services that we provide um, if you are considering uh, pursuing adoption. So Michaelina and Tracy, I, I just want to, again, say thank you so much for being here today. Um, I really appreciate all of your, um, all of your advice and guidance and sharing um, information that you provided today to our listeners. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.